Mackerel Podcast number 436 for December 2nd, 2014, brought to you by Casper, online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price, and Boom 2, louder, clearer, and better audio from your Mac. Welcome to another Mackerel Podcast. I'm Chris Breen, and of course, back from our Thanksgiving retreat, and my co-host is Susie Oaks. Hey, Susie. Hi, how are you? I'm I'm stuffed. Me too. <laughs> We're almost out of leftovers. We got some turkey left, but that's about it. We we ate everything else. Yeah, I've got a mean mess of turkey left. We uh, somebody didn't show up, and so uh, we have their portion of everything. And so we're still digging through the pile of stuff, which isn't bad. It's uh, it's not something to complain about. So it was good though. Yeah. But um, now, we, one of the things we have to cover because while we were eating and recovering from said eating, people were shopping. And uh, it turns out, according to a story I read, that iOS users spent more than Android users during uh, Thanksgiving Day and Black Friday and probably on through the weekend. So um, why do you think? And that's that's shopping from their devices, right? From their right. phones and tablets? Right. So it's basically, I think what the study showed was the amount per person was higher on an iOS device than it was on an Android device. Yeah. And it said 34% of total online traffic came from iOS devices, which is a lot. Yeah. I was surprised at how high that was. Um, yeah, I don't know. So there's a lot of shopping apps on iOS, and then we have Apple Pay. A lot of shopping apps um, support Apple Pay, so it's easy to check out. I don't really know how the ecosystem differs on the Android side, if it's just there's not as many apps that make it so easy to buy things right from your mobile device. Um, shopping on a mobile is still kind of new, at least for me. I mean, I buy a lot of stuff online, but it's mostly done from a desktop. Mm -hmm. So I didn't buy anything um, over the weekend. The other weird thing about the study was that it knows how much you spend on like per order. And I was like, well, how do you know that? <laughs> That's weird. I think it's uh, the magic of analytics, you know, which is everywhere and they track yeah. everything. But yeah, I think I thought that was interesting that they then released that information to the world at large, which I guess is okay because people are curious about this. But it does tell you how much your shopping is tracked that they yeah. could they could get down to this point. I've seen this story spun a couple of different ways. One of them is that they talk about, oh, the fancy rich iOS owners. Um, yeah, we're just making it rain all over. Yeah, and, and it's that these devices cost more, and so the people that own them have more money. I don't think that's necessarily the case, because you look at Android devices, so like the Samsung devices are certainly not cheap. They're right up there with the same kind of prices that you get from an iPhone. But I do think that there are more of these devices at the lower end and so people who can't afford an iPhone or one of the more expensive Galaxy devices is getting an Android device that is less expensive and easier to own. And maybe they don't shop as much because they don't have the kind of income that you would need to support a Galaxy or an iPhone or something like this. And I think you're also right about the, the maturity of the apps that are on these devices. I think iOS apps have been around for so long and developers tend to develop for iOS first, and so you've got a really sophisticated Amazon app on there, and you've got other shopping apps on there that people do turn to because it's really easy to use them. Unlike you, I did shop on my iPad a bunch this weekend. I spent time in the um, in the Amazon app, and I 
bought several things. I hope no one in my family is listening, so I won't say exactly what they were. <laughs> but I did do some of my holiday shopping on there. It was really easy. They put the bargain stuff right up front so you could find it. You could do comparison shopping, going through a couple of different apps. So um, I see why people did it. And I think increasingly that's the way it's going to go. One little factoid at the end of that study was that desktop users ended up paying more than either one of the mobile platforms. Okay. So if you're sitting in front of a computer, you were the big spender this time. Yeah, and the 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 article that I'm looking at says that um, the average for iOS was $122, and the average for Android was $98. So it's not a huge swing. I mean, mm -hmm. they're still both spending kind of a lot of money. Like, that's a lot to order all at once from your phone. Yeah, and just to make sure this is clear, they're not talking about buying apps. This is going out and yeah. buying goods. In buying stuff. Yeah, buying stuff. Because at first I saw the headline somewhere, and I thought, oh, yeah, well, they're buying more apps. And then, oh, no, it's real goods. And um, and sure enough, they were. Yeah. Um, I wonder if the Android figures count the Kindle tablets, because those make it so easy to shop on, on, uh, I wonder, on Amazon. Because, it yes, it is Android, but it's a weird form of Android. It's yeah. been hacked away so that it supports. That would be interesting to find out. I would love to see that figure broken out and see if that strategy is working for Amazon. Yeah, see, like, which, which Android devices you know, uh, inspire the most shopping. Yep, okay. I, I bet Amazon's would be way up there. I would think so. Okay, well, study doers, uh, go out and do that one again, and please do a breakout for us. Because also, it would be interesting to know what do the higher-priced Galaxy devices, what kind of shopping was done there. So is it a matter that these people just have more money and therefore shop more, or are more sophisticated and, you know, use this kind of shopping more often than, than another kind? Um, but yeah, I think you're right. I think we need more data. Yeah. All right. It'd I be fun to see which apps are, are the most, too, because, I mean, like on iOS, we have the Apple Store app, and you can buy, right. like, almost everything Apple makes, and they make some expensive things. And I sort of – I haven't looked at the Google Play Store to see if there's an Apple Store app on there, but I kind of doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it would be interesting, too, to see what they did because, as we talked about last week, Apple didn't offer discounts on its – stuff. So you weren't going to get a Mac for less money on Friday or, or something else. They would give you a gift card or they would do a project red sort of thing, which I thought was a product red. And I thought, which was great, as we said last time, so we don't need to say it again. But um, it may be that people weren't so tempted to look for Apple stuff. They maybe would turn to Amazon if they could get a discount there on Apple's things or somewhere else thinking, oh, gosh, I've got plenty of iTunes gift cards that I haven't used yet. And um, and so what I really want is a, is a real money discount on one of these items. Yeah. Um, another shopping thing that came out for those people who care anything at all about the console wars, and we're talking about game consoles, uh, both Microsoft and Sony last year released their game consoles, the Xbox One versus the PlayStation 4. PlayStation 4 apparently was mopping the floor with Microsoft, but... According to those people who look at numbers, the Xbox One won, W-O-N, uh, Black Friday. And they did it. You'll never guess why they did. Um, I already know, but let's, yeah, go ahead and tell everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you didn't know, I think this would be pretty... Well, Black Friday, I mean, is traditionally a day for big sales. So smart money would be on they cut the price. Yeah, exactly. They cut ding, the ding, price. Ding. ding, ding, yes. How did Yay. they do that? They cut the price. And that's what people care about. So um, the thing has been out, for, the, for those people who don't follow consoles, and, and we won't go too deeply into it, but 
this is the first time we've had these next generation consoles in years. So people have been working with this old hardware and it's, you know, it was fine, but the graphics weren't that great. And then they come out with the new generation stuff and that looks really good. And so everybody was thinking, which way should I go? Well, Microsoft came out with the Xbox One and they bundled it with a Kinect, which is the motion sensor. And they wanted $500 for it. And some people went, <gasps> particularly when PlayStation 4 came out and it was $400 and people did less. <gasps> so... Um, Naturally, people liked the price because there weren't a lot of games for either one of them. They went with PlayStation 4. It's done very well. And Microsoft has sort of stumbled all over itself going, oh, gosh, what should we do? Okay, so they un unbundled the, um, the Kinect and that didn't quite do it. And now suddenly they go, oh, if we undercut PlayStation 4 by about, I don't know, $70, it seems to make a huge difference, plus bundle it with some games. And, they've, and both platforms have more games coming in now, so... Shouldn't be a huge surprise because they both are outstanding looking consoles. It's just for some people, it's all about which games you can get. And in most cases, you can get games on each platform. So it's it's really about you know what you're used to and what kind of loyalties you have in, in some ways. Yeah, I haven't bought a console in forever. We have a PlayStation 2. Um, but I think if I was in the market for one, a big factor would just be like, what are all my friends playing? Because mm -hmm. you know? it's hard to play. Is it, is it impossible still to play multiplayer against people on another platform? Yeah, you're pretty much locked into whoever's ecosystem that That's you're using. That's what I thought. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so, I mean, but my friends are probably uh, very price conscious. and Yeah, but I, the, I, I don't really get the... I mean, I get the difference, but I don't think that the companies have done a really good job of explaining like why, you know, why one over the other. Yeah, I still think there a lot of times they're trying to do it based on games. So Microsoft now is saying, look, if you want the entire Halo oeuvre, which you can get now, um, we've got it, and and PlayStation doesn't. We've always owned the Halo franchise, and we're going to continue to own it forever. On the other hand, PlayStation could counter and say, well, yeah, but we've got Destiny, which is by the same people. And, and yes, you can get on Xbox One as well. As well. Uh, turns out it's not that great a game yet. They still need to work on it. But um, So I, I do think that these companies are trying to sell it based on what you can play and you know how pleasant the online gaming experience is with these devices. And um, and we'll see. You know, I the the people who pundit about this sort of stuff say as long as Xbox continues with this lower price, they should be fine and maybe catch up with PlayStation so that you've got a real battle on your hands. Um, but it seemed like it was something as simple as, no, just price it right and you're going to get the, the bulk of the customers coming to your platform. Yeah. Um, let's see, do we have any other shopping stuff? Oh, one other thing. Um, and this is about streaming boxes, and it's marginally related to this, in that um, people, again, have been doing more surveys to see what kind of devices people are using for streaming. And it turns out one-fifth of us now, uh, us TV viewers, that is, are using some kind of streaming device. Now, people listening to this podcast are probably are not surprised, or they're surprised that number is so low. Roku is leading, Apple TV is next, and then Chromecast comes up after that in one particular study. So this is a real thing. So do you do you stream? Have you cut cords? I have. Um, I moved last summer to a new house, and we decided to not hook up the cable and just see how it went with with no cable at all. I also don't really get over the air TV, so it's been all streaming for us. 
And um, yeah, we probably could, you know, get our act together and get an antenna and get over the air. But it turns out for us that streaming has been plenty of stuff to watch. Um, and it hasn't really been an issue. So, yes. And I have all of those devices. <laughs> really? But, yeah, I'm a little weird like that. I, I have everything. I have the Fire TV. I have the Apple TV, the Chromecast, and the, um, like, a Roku 2, I think. So, I mean, naturally people are, are saying, well, of course you're using the Apple TV because of the kind of podcast we have. But maybe you're not. What, what's your primary device? Primarily it's the Apple TV. Um, I like the Fire TV better because it's just so fast and I like the voice search, but it's just kind of the muscle memory of everyone in the house uses the Apple TV and that's just kind of the one that we reach for first. Um, and then, you know, it's it's got, uh, I've we've bought quite a lot of movies from iTunes for my kids, so those are all on the Apple TV, of course, and nowhere else. So we use the Apple TV mostly. And do you use the Apple remote? Yeah, yeah, it's around. I I usually use my iPhone for the remote, but the Apple TV remote is around. And actually, just this weekend, we had a breakthrough. We taught the kid how to pause his own uh, his own movie when he's using the Apple. He can use the Apple remote to pause now instead of yelling, "Mommy, pause it! Mommy, pause it!" Oh, maybe that's who that thing is designed for. Yeah, kids. Yeah, it's good you only for need kids. Like, yeah, because you only need like a couple of buttons, right? Yeah. For the rest yeah. of us, though, when you have to enter text, yeesh. Yeah, yeah, we're kind of past the point of entering much text, but yeah, um, yeah, I use the phone for that definitely. Yeah, yeah, I say my iPad for that whenever I have to re-enter passwords. Like every so often, Netflix will say, "Oh, I have no idea who you are," <laughs> and then it's done. Oh, okay, well, first of all, I figure out what the password is, and and doing it with the remote is just so painful, or doing any kind of search with it is painful as well. So that's when I start using the iOS remote app. Yeah, that's where the Fire TV just really smokes it because there's that little voice button on the remote and you can say, find me this, and it'll it'll just find it for you. It's pretty great. And it's good? It, it knows what you're saying? Yeah. Um, you can trick it sometimes if you're trying, but usually it, it parses it right and um, it doesn't search all the services. They're still kind of rolling them out, but um, yeah, it, 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 it turns, it's fast and it's usually pretty accurate. Yeah, well, we're assuming that a new Apple TV is going to come out in 2015. So that's certainly way up on my list because I think everybody just hates that Apple. I mean, it's very stylish. It's beautiful. But when you want to do anything beyond very basic navigation, the thing is just painful to use. And I know we can do it on iOS devices, but even on iPhone, you know, you have to go, oh, where's my phone? I'll fire this thing up and I'll do it this way. Having, you know, the fact that they've got Siri and it's, pretty good um would be pretty nice if that was capable or available on a device that's a really logical next step for siri because even in the siri commercials you'd see zoe deschanel say hey play me this song and it would just start playing but you know her phone must have already been connected to some speakers and it would you know come out through her whole house like apple tv should be Mm -hmm. It, it should be able to just play stuff through your apple tv definitely yeah and we've seen tim cook talk about controlling the Apple TV with his Apple Watch that he has that we don't. That's right. So he can do that, and uh, although entering text on that thing, I don't know. Yeah, there will be a remote app for the watch, but, you know, think of how many people have Apple TVs and then the Venn diagram of those (laughs) people who are also going to buy Apple Watch. It's going to be pretty slim for a while. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see how that works out. But, yeah, voice command would be just great. So um, that's it. And so you're in line with a lot of people on this, this survey. They were saying out of the people that they queried, about a third of them say that they've reduced or completely eliminated pay TV services. So you're a trendsetter, you are. Yep. Yep. 
yeah, there's there's so much to watch. I mean, and it's kind of weird because like before when I had cable, I would just flip it on and just kind of, you know, pick something. We watched a lot of like dumb shows on um, like A&E and stuff, you know, like American Pickers and just like really dumb shows, but it was on and you just have it on. And I found for me that with the cord cutting, I have to sort of seek out things more. Mm -hmm. Like I have to remember that I want to watch Parenthood and that I'm five episodes behind. I have to remember that Parenthood's on Hulu, open Hulu, watch Parenthood. I mean, all the services have their cues and stuff, but it's I, I'm not just watching whatever's on because, you know, it's something that I have to seek out. So I'm watching less TV overall. And I feel like the the quality of TV I'm watching is better. So it's been great for us. And we were like, you know what, we can always it's it's an easy thing to undo. If we miss it, we'll just call up Comcast and get get the cable turned back on again. But no one's wanted to do that. So it's been great. Yeah, it's changed my habits as well. And I still get I'm on DirecTV and I still pay for the thing because I want HBO and, and other stuff. But my brother-in-law was here over Thanksgiving and he wanted to watch uh, the dog show, the dog show after the parade that they do somewhere. And uh, he says, okay, so where's NBC? And I have no idea because I, I never, ever watch live TV, <laughs> yeah. you know, and so I've got 5,000 channels. I go, well, um, I don't know, let's try the low number one first. And, you know, eventually we found it, but... Um, because I watch so much stuff that's streamed or on the DVR, I never even think about live TV anymore. And I probably could cut the cord. I think when HBO goes strictly subscription only, I'll yeah. probably do that. And a few other things that I rely on uh, in and out, I'll probably do that because I don't see any reason to watch live TV except well, baseball, which is, I could do it through um, MLB. So there's a solution to that. Unless you like your local team and then you're screwed. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, there, there are ways around that. Yeah. I th I've heard of this VPN thing. Right. There's yeah. those. Yeah. Okay. Um, we have lots more to talk about. But before we do, a word from Casper, which is an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. At the risk of making this all about me, let me tell you my tales of woe regarding mattresses. Now, I had occasion to shop for a new mattress for my daughter, and after being horrified by the price of a showroom mattress that she liked, I decided to look for the mattress online, right? Because we comparison shop online. Well, it turns out that it's almost impossible to do this because nearly all mattress manufacturers and their sellers make it difficult to comparison shop because they ensure that every mattress outlet sells mattresses by name specific to the broker. So it may be called John over here and Paul over there and Ringo over there, and you have no idea that they're all the same mattress. And prices are rarely discounted. And that's why I was thrilled to hear that Casper was going to sponsor this podcast. Now, if you're not familiar with Casper, here's the lowdown. They're an online retailer of premium mattresses that cost a fraction of the price of those mattresses that you find in brick and mortar stores. Their American-made mattresses are beautifully engineered using a hybrid of premium latex foam and memory foam. The mattresses have the right sink and just the right bounce. They're not too hard and not too soft. And the price? $500 for a twin-size mattress and $950 for a king-size mattress. Listen, I'd been in the stores recently, and you're just not going to find prices like that in any of these stores. Casper was kind enough to send me a queen-size mattress to try out. It came in an easily unpacked box that doesn't weigh a ton. You just pull it from the box, remove the packaging, and the mattress expands to its full size. You put it on a bed frame, the floor, or on a box spring, and climb aboard. 
I've slept on it for a few nights now, and even though I'm a light sleeper, I slept straight through and found it remarkably comfortable. And you can put it to the test as well. Casper lets you try one out for 100 days with free delivery and painless returns. If you like it, pay for it. If not, back to Casper it goes. And best of all, I can offer you a discount. You can get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting www.casper.com slash Macworld. Again, 50 bucks off by visiting www.casper.com slash Macworld. Okay, so here's a weird story that I just saw today. Um, Yahoo is coming under fire because, so Yahoo owns Flickr, the photography site, mm-hmm. and I Flickr's a community for ph- photographers to you know post their pictures to store them online and to share them and when you put pictures up you can choose any kind of license I think it defaults to copyright all rights reserved these are my pictures look but don't touch all the way to different creative commons licenses where other people are allowed to you know use your work with permission and give you back credit and you know different kind of flavors of the creative commons license Yahoo has decided that they're going to start selling canvas prints from Creative Commons licensed pictures that have been uploaded to Yahoo, but they're not selling these on behalf of the photographers who took them. They're just selling them and they're keeping all the money. So legally, they're allowed to do this because these are the pictures that have been labeled Creative Commons uh, licensed for commercial use. So Yahoo's like, oh, we're using them commercially, no problem. But that's just so mean, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And I really think that, like, they're sort of uh, punishing their own users for taking good pictures and sharing them freely. And it just, it totally rubs me the wrong way. What do you think? Well, yeah, it's hard to justify that. Is there something where it's signed by you? Or there's some indication that, you know, who made this image in the first place? Um, Yahoo last week said it would begin selling prints of 50 million Creative Commons licensed images. Oh boy. Um, for the hand-picked photos, so they're picking some where they just like, oh, we really like this photo. And then those, they're actually giving 51% of sales to the, crea- the creators. Okay. But for the saps who, you know, license their, their images Creative Commons, Yahoo's going to keep it all. Um, and the, 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 the print will be on s- canvas and it will come with a small sticker bearing the name of the artist. So it does give them credit on a presumably removable sticker and that's it. Wow. Yeah. It, you know, when I used to be a musician, I would, every once in a while somebody would offer me a gig and they'd say, yeah, but you know, we can't pay you. But think of the exposure. Right. And um, that's kind of what this sounds like. Is but And I find somebody gave me the greatest comeback to that. And they said, well, yeah, but you can die from exposure. <laughs> and uh, you can starve from exposure. Wow, this is this is um, ballsy. I think that yeah. I, th- I think the term fits there is that well, you chose to use the Creative Commons license, and therefore we could take your stuff and sell it and keep all the money. It's just so like anti-photographer from a site that you know is supposed to be like the site for photographers. So yeah, I know like since. Flickr was acquired by Yahoo. Some people have kind of, you know, lost uh, some of the romance is gone. But um, even like Flickr's co-founder, Stuart Butterfield, who left in 2008, was quoted in this article saying, it's hard to imagine the revenue from selling the prints will cover the cost of lost goodwill. And I agree with him. I mean, I've seen some really cool prints on um, some 
photos on Flickr before. There's a local blog, SFist, used to highlight you know local pictures on Flickr. And once there was this really great picture of the Golden Gate Bridge. I know, total San Francisco cliche, but it was really nice, black and white. It was shrouded in the fog, just right. And it was almost my husband's birthday, and I thought, wow, this would be a good picture for, for him. Um, I wonder if I can get a print of this. And I reached out to the photographer and said, hey, man, like I'd, I'd really love to buy a print of this from you. And he didn't want to give me the the image file, which I wasn't, you know, asking for because that's mm-hmm. his. But he he actually like you know uh, arranged for a print to be made and sent to me for free. So if if you see something you really like on Flickr, you, you can reach out to the photographer and you know figure out like, hey, what's the best way to support you and get get this image on my wall? A lot of times they'll want to work with you. So Yahoo's trying to make it easier. Like, oh, I like that one. I'm going to buy it. But it's just so so anti the spirit of Flickr. It is, and I think this is just another nail in the coffin of, of creatives. Um, you know, much like years ago when there were uh, these photo services, basically, which is saying, oh, yeah, you know, we'll pay you very, very little money so that you'll be part of Getty Images or somebody else's images, and, and people will have access to your stuff. And I think the pros were really upset about it because, you know, it devalues their work if people can get a similar image somewhere else for pennies versus paying them for the for the work they do and the skills they've acquired over decades um and this just seems like yet another thing it's like well you know if you were dumb enough to put it down as creative commons tough and we're just going to keep it i I think you're right i I don't know that the general user is ever going to hear about this um but it sure would have been nice if they'd offered this some other way make that 51 percent the standard deal for everybody you know even if joe schmo puts it up there if you tick that box maybe the box says Tick this box, and by the way, if we sell a copy, we'll give you half the money or half and a and a yeah. bit more. Just another checkbox, like make this available for sale. Because there's other there's 500px.com is a way for photographers to sell their images. Um, yeah, there, there's other services that do this. So, but yeah, it's like there's no opt out right now. The only way, if you have Creative Commons pictures on Flickr, the only way you can be sure to keep Flickr from selling them is to go and change the license away from Creative Commons, which is a real bummer. Well, sounds like a good idea. So, (laughs) I mean, I can't believe anybody's going to want to buy one of my... I don't think I put Creative Commons on any of my images. I think I kept the rights, but I'm going to go and check. And if I didn't, I'm going to switch it because uh, I think this is incredibly sleazy. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about something happier. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So, um, let's talk about kids and schools. Oh, good. Because you sent an item about that, and I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, this came up on uh, 9to5Google this morning, and it's uh, based on data from IDC and said that um, Chromebooks outsold iPads uh, in the education market, like schools buying them for their students directly. Um, Chromebooks outsold iPads last quarter. Uh, Again, not by a ton. It was uh, 715,000 Chromebooks to 702,000 iPads. Um, but yeah, they say Chromebooks are now a quarter of the educational market. So that doesn't surprise me. Um, I think as much as there's been a lot of talk about iPads going to the schools, and I, I know there was that bump because of, or the blip, because of the LA school district where they bought a bunch of them and then it didn't work out so well. Um, my daughter's school recently had some money for technology. So the guy in charge of it, he and I were talking late last year. 
And he knows what I do. And so he was sort of apologetic about it. So, yeah, well, we're going to have, you know, we're going to get a cart of iPads, but actually we're going to put a lot of money into Chromebooks and sort of flinched thinking I was going to get really <laughs> mad about it. <laughs> he said, but no, but our media lab is going to be all Mac, you know, and, so, and we're going to get this and that's, that's great. And I didn't really have a problem with it because I know the kind of work that they do in the class, the kind of homework that they have. And being able to get into Google Docs where they do a lot of their stuff is imperative for them. And so the idea of them doing that on iPads, while it's possible, a Chromebook makes a lot more sense. And I think, I thought, good, you're saving us some money by investing in these cheap computers. They're easy to use. They provide the basic services that you need in the classroom. And as long as you're using the appropriate device for the appropriate job, which is Macs in the Media Lab and iPads where they're appropriate, good on you. I appreciate you trying to shop wisely. Um, but I do know that there are people, you know, shaking their heads or fists and saying, no, the future is mobile and everybody must be using iPads. So do you see that for when your child is of school age that, that they should be equipped with an iPad? Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like iPads have a lot of good potential in the classroom because they're not just computers. They can be cameras and they can be, um, you know, you can make music with them. And I haven't used a lot of Chromebooks, so like it's so it's it's Chrome OS, so everything's web based, right? Yep. And, okay, that's what I thought. And um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you can do a lot with that. So it just depends on, yeah, you know, like you said, it depends on, on what they're doing with it. But I think... An iPad could be used just because of like all the apps you know um, available for it. Um, th there's a lot kind of more you can do with an iPad right now, but but yeah, I mean you know I I support both. I guess schools schools should have both, and uh, Chromebooks are a lot cheaper. Yeah, they're they're significantly cheaper. You can get a bunch of them. Um, you know, unfortunately, if they break, you kind of throw them out and get another one. Um, but I've had an opportunity to my daughter's previous school got a got a technology budget as well funded by the parents and so they brought in a cart full of iPads and so I went in there to help them help train them on them and I was kind of shocked at how little they knew about it I mean that, that was part of my job but you know I would say okay and so here are like a dozen apps that would be great for your classroom and you know hands went up and say how do you turn it on no. Oh boy. Okay. So, and I think that's some of the problem in, in some of the schools where people have been promised this, the miracle of the iOS device and, and iPads. And because technologists recommend or enthusiastic parents who know how to use the things and say, oh, well, they're easy. You don't really need any real training. So here, and then you're, you know, a poor teacher who's got way too much to do anyway for not enough money is now confronted with this whole new technology. They're expected to completely flip their curriculum around without even knowing how to use the thing and use it appropriately. And so, you know, at least in this case, far too often the teachers that knew how to use the stuff grabbed them, and those who didn't were left behind because they didn't know what to do. And the school district, because this was parent-funded, wasn't going to spend the money for training. So it was either up to savvy parents or other teachers to let them know what to do with them. And I think most teachers just said, you know... I'm overburdened as it is. I'm just, I can't. And yeah. and so it's gone to waste. Whereas something like a Chromebook, it's a computer. And they get that. I mean, everybody's been using computers for so long. So they're not really adopting a new sort of way of working. That's true. And Chromebook might be easier to share because it's all, you know, everything's web-based. You sign yeah. out of an account. You sign into another account. Boom. Um, iPads, like, yeah, just trying to, trying to share it between a lot of people can be kind of tricky. 
And then, you know, the the app store curation is better than it used to be, but still, I mean, for every good, solid educational app in the store, there's probably a hundred that look just like it that are terrible. So, so yeah, I could see that, that the learning curve would be, you know, a little more gentle on, uh, on Chromebooks. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's intentionally limited. Mm-hmm. So, you, like you say, if you go to the app store and you're looking for something, you could find 50 of a particular kind of app, and then you're trying to figure out, well, which one is appropriate? Can I get it approved for purchase? Do I want the... No, now there's an ad in there. Oh, no, they can get inappropriate content. Yeah. So it makes it tough. I think this, the people who are really using this stuff in education, you, I was surprised at how sort of normal the apps were. They weren't going out for a ton of educational apps, but they're using things like pages and numbers and keynote and kind of the basic stuff just to get work done and then the occasional educational app to throw in there which when you think about it it makes a lot of sense because that's the kind of things you do most of the time rather than dive into the big multimedia experience sure okay so um we have one more thing or maybe two more things to talk about but before we do a word about boom 2 which is louder clearer and better audio from your mac Boom 2, my global delight, is a pro audio app for Mac that offers a system-wide volume booster, advanced equalizer control and presets, amazing audio effects, and much more. This indispensable app was built from scratch and is designed for Yosemite. Boom 2 is tailored to calibrate itself to suit your Mac as no two are the same. With personalized and customized sound to suit any occasion, it also gives you the power to fine-tune and control every single element of audio coming out of your Mac. Spotify, Netflix, YouTube, iTunes, and every other service out there is about to sound a whole lot better. And hey, an earlier version of Boom was a Macworld best of show in 2011. You can try Boom 2 free for seven days, and if you'd like to buy a copy, then you can get 20% off using the coupon code MACWORLD. And the coupon is valid all the way through December. To download your free trial or buy it, type the URL http colon slash slash bit dot ly slash macworldboom that's macworldboom all together again bit.ly slash macworldboom and um let's talk a little bit about google because they affect everything we do and let's talk about europe because well europe is awesome (laughs) (laughs) and it turns out that the awesome people in europe at least some of them um european union parliament has recommended that Google Search be unbundled from browsers and devices. And um, they have the power to do this kind of thing because they take privacy a little more seriously than we do in this country. Mm-hmm. And they're not nearly as beholden to big companies as we are. Although they still are certainly, you know, their politicians are getting their fair share as well. But um, they're trying to do things like make the internet a little more private. So they've done things like the ability to forget Uh, searches you know or your identity online so like remove any history of me so people can't look into my past and now this there's this new unbundling thing so the I guess the pitch is that if you bundle Google with every browser and every device that it becomes anti-competitive that Google is instead directing its traffic to places where it can make money which isn't surprising they're in the business of making money but uh, Europeans say no 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 so the question is, is this part of a bigger trend or is it, are people kind of getting sick of the whole Google experience and, and want more choice? 
Um, this antitrust angle is kind of hard for me to wrap my head around because, I mean, a browser sort of needs a default search engine. So I, I don't know if the problem is just having a default kind of already decided for you instead of just the first time you launch your new browser, it says, hey, what kind of search engine would you like to be the default? Um, and if something that small would get around this, but... Yeah, I mean, like every browser has a default search engine and they're pretty easy to change and you can always just point your browser at a different search engine or bookmark it or, you know, whatever you want to do, have that be your home page. Um, so I don't really see what the problem is. Yeah, this isn't dissimilar from the Microsoft suit from years and years and years ago about Internet Explorer, mm -hmm. where basically they built it in where that where there is a difference is the Internet Explorer was really hard to get off of uh, Windows. Basically, you had to break the entire operating system to not use it. Right. This is like you say, you can choose to use a different browser, but the reality is, who does? I mean, yeah, most, most people, people don't. don't change the default, but they. I mean, like, but you still sort of need a default. Right, yeah, and and Apple and others are now trying to make that choice for you. So and with Yosemite now, Bing is the default when you're in Spotlight. It's not Google, because right. Apple is clearly trying to move away from Google properties. Firefox is going to go with Yahoo Search, because they want to get away from Google as well. So is it anti-competitive? Yeah, but as you say... Every other browser is going to try to point you somewhere too, right? If you're using Bing, they're likely to point you at Microsoft stuff. Um, I'm sure Yahoo was going to put Flickr and some of its other properties high on the list of results. So I'm not sure what you've got. I don't know if there's is like the people's browser or sorry, people's search engine out there that will give you completely untainted results. Yeah, and so the there was some news last week that um, I think it was last week that. Uh, that this, so mobile Safari has Google as the default, and Apple's been kind of you know backing away from their from their marriage to Google um, gradually. They got rid of Google Maps, and um, yeah, Bing is the is the the default search in, in Spotlight for uh, Safari, um, spot, Spotlight for Yosemite rather. Um, but in mobile Safari, it still defaults to Google, and I guess that deal is up next year. So. Um, the, the news from the information was that um, reps from Microsoft and from Yahoo had both talked to Eddie Q about maybe, you know, getting their search engines mm -hmm. as the default in mobile Safari. So I did a little thing just like, hey, you know, it's, you can actually change this default and let me run three searches on all four of the, of the you know, the search engines on offer. So it was Google, Bing, Yahoo, and DuckDuckGo and see you know what the difference was and and it turned out that there were some differences um some of uh, DuckDuckGo puts everything in tabs so if you are searching for something to buy you can easily jump over to the products tab and that only gives you um you know results for for things you can buy so so they have their little quirks and it's definitely worth um to you know trying out different ones for different kinds of searches and the kinds of searches you do the most might you know um, inform which browser is the best for you. But yeah, most people don't change the default. I yeah, and, and I think the Europeans who are not fully behind this effort are saying, well, you know, it's, there's the money behind this effort is from people like Yahoo and Microsoft who want to get their ore in there and just say, well, you know, Google has the mind share and we don't like that. We'd like us to have the mind share instead. So 
this whole proposal by the European Union, it may not happen because all they have the power to do is recommend. Then when they actually get to the commissioners, already the one of the German commissioners has said, over my dead body, this is not going to happen. So, you know, you don't know who he's listening to, but it's probably not Microsoft or, or Yahoo. Yeah. So best of luck to them. And the, the investigation has been going on for four years. So that's a long time. Yeah, you know, and and Google hasn't been entirely cooperative with a lot of these efforts anyway, where they've yeah. said, no, Google, you must do this. And they say, well, we don't speak French. Sorry. <laughs> we will tell you in Italian. No, don't okay. speak Italian either. <laughs> Try awesome. talking with money. That's yeah. a language we understand. Um, I just want to finish up with one last little thing. I want to ask you how you're going to shop this year. Um, and, as and what are you getting me? <laughs> I'm getting you. I can't tell you that. It's got to be a surprise. Oh, you're right. Okay. Um, I'm going to shop. I'm probably going to buy a lot of stuff from Amazon because I can do it pretty last minute with my Prime um, things. But I'm also going to try to find sites where sort of like hippy dippy fair trade stuff like i have a couple oh, cool. friends who work for sites where they get you know women in third world countries to make these things and then um you know you can buy jewelry and, and handcrafts and stuff so i'm going to try to do some of these like gifts that give back because uh yeah i think that's uh, that's what i'm going to do for for my adult relatives and then my kid will get a bunch of plastic crap from amazon perfect yeah, well, and, and Amazon makes it really easy, and yeah. particularly now they're doing Sunday delivery where I am, and I ordered something on Friday, and it showed up on Sunday, and wow, this is a miracle! It's Sunday. Yeah, and I sent my sister great. something. It is pretty great, and but on the other hand, you're right. I, I but those poor warehouse people. It sounds like the worst job in the world. I hear it's robots now. Yeah, it's robots now. That's what they want you to think. <laughs> robots and poor schmoes that are yeah. servicing the robots. Our friend uh, Flo, who works at Greenbot, her brother is actually working at that that Amazon fulfillment warehouse out in Tracy, where they had the the robots that were in all the stories today. Really? Yeah. Does he say he's he's not a robot? He's a person. Okay, he's a person with feelings and dreams. Yeah. Does it, do the robots rule him or, or the other way around? Um, I would guess the other way around. I don't think that he's the kind of I don't think he's a robot ruler. Uh, okay. No offense. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Flo's brother. Yeah. Um, the other thing I'm going to try to do is, yes, I'm going to do a bunch of stuff online because it's easy and I can comparison shop and all that stuff. But um, I live in a smallish town, so I'm going to try to frequent some of my bricks and mortar retailers, which means I'll have to leave my house, which I hate doing. Yeah. But, you know, it gives you the opportunity to actually chat with real people and make them happy. And yes, maybe it costs a little bit more. But I live in kind of an artsy craftsy community. So um, I get to buy stuff from artisans, which I think is Great. That's cool. Yeah. I missed out on Oakland does a thing for Black Friday where they, that they call Plaid Friday, which is the all the, the strands of local business woven together to create a fabric of economics, blah, blah, blah. But wow. um, I, yeah, I didn't I didn't find out about it until I opened my spam folder this morning and I kind of missed out on Plaid Friday and the locally owned shops around Oakland. So I really just I don't think I left my house on Friday. No, that's not true. We went to the zoo. We went to the zoo on Friday. It was wonderful. Well, you know, shopping on Black Friday is very much like going to the zoo. Yes. <laughs> Just more dangerous because you're yeah. in with the animals. The zoo was pleasantly deserted. It was kind of nice. There weren't that many people there. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm sure that. Yeah, I, I just ducked, stayed home. Yeah. But, you know, my family went out and just had a wonderful time. So 
I don't know if they got me either. So I guess I'll find out later. All right. So uh, we're done. Yes? Yep. Yep. Okay. So that wraps up another episode of the Macworld Podcast brought to you by Casper, online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. And boom, too. Louder, clearer, and better audio from your Mac. If you have any comments or questions, drop us a line at podcast at macworld.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk with you next week.